The Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 3. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall you say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have given heed to you and what has been done to you in Egypt. I declare that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us now go a three days journey into the wilderness so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I will bring this people into such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty handed. Each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman living in, the neighbor's, in her neighbor's house for jewelry, of silver, of gold, and of clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel reading is from the gospel of John chapter 8. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever keeps my word will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died? What then do you claim to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. He of whom you say, He is our God, though you do not know him. But I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see see my day. He, He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, we need you and we ask you to meet us now. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died and rose again. 
And we pray that as we open your scriptures and sit with them and consider them, we pray that you would be on the move in us and among us doing your great work of making all things new. We need you to renovate us in our own hearts. We need you to remake us as a community. We need you to remake this world to fit your great design of shalom. So we pray that you would use this time toward that great end. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to tell you a story that's a little bit ridiculous, but it comes from a time uh, before I moved to Philadelphia uh, 15 years ago, my wife Bonnie and I lived in a, a town called Athens, Georgia, which is in a different world where college football is the most important thing that is, okay? I, um, I did go to school there, and then I stayed there for another five years afterward, and I served a church there. It was my first uh, job in ministry. I was doing youth ministry, and we were doing an event, a fundraiser event, that was like a benefit concert, but it also included a, you know, like a raffle and all these other things. And I had this idea of like, oh, it'd be cool if we could raffle off an autographed football, because this is the kind of place where that would go for a lot of money. And just so happened that um, one of the people who was in my church was the chaplain of the Georgia football team and also the brother-in-law of the head coach. So I'm like, all right, have an in. Maybe I could get my friend, his nickname is Chappie for chaplain, big guy, Marine, the whole bit. Um, maybe I could get Chappie to get me a signed football, given that the coach is his brother-in-law, it's family. And so I asked him and he said, yeah, 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 sure. That's a great idea. I can make that happen. I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, get a football and a pen and just, um, and just come, down to the, come down to the main office building uh, there at the football complex on Tuesday. I'm like, all right, cool. So, so I went down there to meet Chappie, um, which I thought meant I was gonna go give him a football that he would then go take care of and bring back to me at some other time. But instead what happened is I called him when I was outside and said, hey, I'm here, I'm, you, know, you wanna come meet me out front? And he's like, oh, I'm not there, I'm not there. You're just gonna need to go down and see the head coach. Which like, I don't know what you know about the kinds of athletic departments and security protocols, but to try to just show up unannounced to go see the head coach of a major college football program is like trying to get into Fort Knox or like Gringotts Wizarding Bank uh, without proper credentials. It's like not going to happen, right? So I, so I go and I'm, I'm literally ringing the doorbell at this heavily fortified office complex and all I have is a name to drop. That's it. Like, no way this is gonna work. So I, I told the person at the front door who I was and why I was there and that Chappie had sent me. And so she's like, hold on, let me make a call. And so she makes a phone call. And sure enough, she's like, all right, come with me. I go, okay. So I'm doubting the whole time that this is gonna go anywhere because now I'm feeling like I didn't sign up for this. I did not try, I am not trying to show up unannounced at the office of the head coach of the Georgia football team. I know this is not how you do things. But sure enough, she led me down and into one more you know, waiting room, one more elevator and this and that. And before you know it, I'm there at the office of the head coach showing up unannounced. And he, and he comes out and he's like, who are you and what do you want, you know? Um, but he's very nice about it. But sure enough, he gave me his, he, he autographed my football, me, this guy showing up in his office, completely not the way you do things. But I had been sent in the name of Chappie to do an impossible task and it worked, much to my bewilderment. Now, I tell that story because in the passage from Exodus that we're looking at this morning, Moses finds himself in this similar sort of pickle, albeit a much greater one, 
and he has a rather impossible task before him, leading the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses is suffering from some really serious self-doubt about whether he has what it takes to get the job done or whether the people he's trying to lead will even follow him in the first place. Why would they go with him? And what God says to Moses here in our passage is basically just this. Just drop my name. Use my name. Tell them I sent you. That will work. And God tells Moses his name and he instructs him to go in his name, which is going to look like Moses embarking on a sort of mission impossible. The name of the Lord. It's what we're considering this morning as we continue to make our way through the Exodus story of rescue and recreation. And here's why I think it's so important for us to reflect on the name of the Lord this morning. Names matter. Every single one of us in this room lives under the power of a name or maybe many names. Whether it's your family name or the name of your alma mater, the name of your advisor or your mentor, the name of your favorite artist or author or whatever leading light you follow the name of, right? As you hope to make for yourself a name or escape the name you wish you hadn't made for yourself. You and I live in relation to all sorts of names that wield incredible amounts of power in our lives. And we invoke these names to open doors for us. We invoke them to find security, to establish our legitimacy, or even to carve out our own identities. And we'll do this in big ways. We also do this in really small ways, right? Whether it's our quest for that glowing opportunity creating recommendation from an esteemed faculty member or mentor, or the silly one-upmanship that we'll participate in of name dropping and posturing around the water cooler or anywhere in between. We wear the names of our favorite bands or books or TV shows as social badges that mark us as having good taste. And of course, we avoid mentioning the names of the embarrassingly cheesy ones that we secretly like. We take refuge in names, and sometimes we even use them as shields to protect ourselves from our own reputations. You know, when you feel self-conscious about something and feel the need for a little self-affirmation, what do you do? Well, you know, so-and-so does it that way. I'm on the same team as this respected person whose name I invoke. I can't be that crazy. I can't be that bad of a parent. The flip side is when we protect ourselves from being associated with the names that we fear might hurt our own reputations. Well, I know so-and-so is like that. I'm not one of those kind. We see it play out in all sorts of ways, but if we look carefully at our lives, every one of us can see easily that we live beneath the power of names and we leverage that power in our efforts to chart our course through this life which means that the names that we lean on and trust in most will inevitably wield a significant amount of power in our lives. And if that's true, then the question that a text like this one prompts us to ask is to which name will we look as the name above all names? Whose name will we live beneath intentionally? Whose name will we invoke and trust most ultimately for our future. 
In this episode of the Exodus story, God reveals his name to Moses, and then he calls Moses to go in God's name, to God's people, and then to lead them in this Exodus journey of rescue and recreation. So as we think about what it might mean for us to read this story toward our own lives today, I want us to think about three things that this passage prompts us to consider. One is the name of the Lord. The second is receiving the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then lastly, going in the name of the Lord on the Exodus journey that he's leading. So the name of the Lord. This passage picks up right where we left off last week. We said last week, we're only listening in on half of the conversation. Here we get more of it. So Moses, he's still at the burning bush, or as we mentioned last week, the, the not burning bush. And he's still in this moment of his initial encounter with God. God has just told Moses that he wants him to go to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and lead the Israelites out of slavery there, to which Moses responded with some pretty reasonable self-doubt. It's a job that's way too big. It's way too big for any reasonable person to feel competent to do. And Moses asks God, who am I that I should be the one to do this? Who am I to go to Pharaoh to lead the people of Israel out of slavery? And God answers Moses simply by saying, I will be with you. It will be by God's power, not by Moses's, that any real rescue or restoration will take place. It's a beautiful moment as God promises his presence and his help to Moses. But Moses, he still isn't sold. And that's where we pick up in our passage this morning. Here what we see is that Moses now doubts his reception among God's people. He's thinking, why in the world would these people follow me? And he raises the question, okay, if I go to them and tell them that the God of their ancestors sent me, what do you want me to say, God? What name should I give them in order to get in the door and gain a hearing with them? What name can I drop that would get me past their security and into their circle of trust? And God responds with something of a mic drop answer. I am who I am. You want a name to drop? Try this one. I am. That's who sent me. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is my name forever and my title for all generations, says the Lord. When you read your Old Testament, you, know, you have your Bible at home and you come across the word Lord in all capital letters, L-O-R-D. That's actually a placeholder for Yahweh, the name of God. It's not in all caps in our bulletin, but it would be in your Bible at home. Substituting Lord in all caps for Yahweh is a tradition that goes way back to an old Hebrew custom of not speaking the name of the Lord out loud due to reverence. So whenever you see that all caps Lord, think the name of God. And in the Old Testament, lots of Hebrew names follow this pattern of Yah plus something else. So for example, like Isaac in Hebrew is Yah Itzak 
which is the one who laughs. Jacob is Yaakov, the one who grabs the heel. Here it's Yahweh, the one who is. The one who exists. Being, power, existence, all of the things. I am who I am, says the Lord. I am a before all and above all and not definable by any terms you might be tempted to use. Nobody can name me. No one has authority over me. No one can put me in a box or label or even comprehend me. I am who I am. No other name will do. There's a lot more we could say about just kind of the I am, I will be, all these things. There's, there's a lot there, too much to explore. Go to the deep dive Bible study with Cindy and you'll probably get there at some point, I imagine, as that study progresses. But the point for us this morning is to recognize that the Lord's name sets him apart as unique in a world where there were thought to be many gods, in a world where there were tribal deities and gods who had specific domains. This Lord introduces himself as one who simply is. The name of the Lord is the name that trumps all the other names that we call upon, live beneath, and try to leverage for our own advancement or security. His name is more impressive, more prestigious, and more powerful than any other. But there's also another really important thing about God's name that we have to appreciate here. It's not just that God's name identifies him as the one who is incomparable and indescribable, God's name, as we see it revealed here, also identifies him as one who is faithful and trustworthy. Because you see, God attaches his name to his promise. This ancient, unconditional promise of blessing and favor that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God's name, his reputation, is only as honorable as his commitment to keep his promise. And when God says to Moses, this is my name and my title for all generations. He's basically saying that his commitment to keep his promise, his commitment to stick with his people through everything, it endures forever. The name of the Lord is a name that says, God won't abandon you. God won't flake out on you. God won't fail you. God won't give up on you. God won't flip-flop on you the way you flip-flop on God. He won't forget you because he's included you in his promise. You see, God cares about his reputation as a promise-keeping faithful God, and he absolutely will not tarnish his own holy name by turning his back on his people and ruining everything. He's not only impressive and powerful, he's trustworthy and faithful. Do you know this God? Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Does his name wield power in your life? As we're coming into this time of worship, you experience this gathered community called into the presence of God to praise him. Are you impressed by him? Do you sense his greatness? Do you sense his majesty, his command of the room, his command of the heavens and earth? 
we have the opportunity, many of us in our lives, to meet lots of impressive people, to come up against lots of people who wield tremendous power. But you will never meet anyone as impressive or as powerful as the living God. Will you trust him with your future? Will you trust him to lead you in the way that you should go? If so, then I think what you and I need to see next is that living under the banner of the name of the Lord is going to require that we receive the one who comes to us in the name of the Lord. In the story that we're considering this morning, Moses doubts his reputation among God's people, but God assures him that they're going to receive him, that they're gonna go with him. In verse 18, God tells Moses, they will listen to your voice. And that's a really important piece for us this morning because this fall, as we're considering what it might mean for us to take up this Exodus story as our own and live into it, allowing it to provide for us a sort of script through which we can understand and live into the situations of our own real lives, it's helpful for us to pause and consider who are we in this story? Which part do we play? And we might gravitate toward identifying with Moses because he's the most prominent character other than God in this story. And we tend to experience life as though we were the main characters, right? Of our own respective life stories. And there's another sense where if we're looking societally or geopolitically, we might have to recognize that, oh, we're Egypt, actually. If we're thinking about the United States, if we're thinking about who we are uh, as a dominant society, as resource and all of this, like we're the big empire actually in the story. And what it looks like for God to meet us might occasionally cause us to put ourselves in the shoes of Pharaoh. But as we're talking about taking up this story as our story, and reading it in the way that Jesus invites us into reading it as God's people, we need to step into the shoes of the Israelites here. We need to be them in the story if we're gonna pull it toward our lives in a helpful way. We're God's people. And here in the story, God sends to his people a servant in his name to lead them on an Exodus journey. And the great struggle of faith that we're gonna see throughout this entire book is, will the people of God trust and follow the one God has sent to lead them? For the people trusting the Lord, it's never an abstract thing. It's expressed very concretely in their active trust of Moses who speaks and acts and leads on God's behalf. And that trust is going to wax and wane at times, usually depending upon the situation at hand. And no matter how amazing things are that the people see, it's always just a matter of time, usually not very much time before they struggle again to keep moving forward in faith. They struggle with receiving the one God has sent in his name, which isn't this one-time thing. It's not a check the box, yes, no, maybe survey of will you receive Moses as your savior, O people of Israel. It's an ongoing thing. Will you keep following him? Will you say yes to his leading today? Will you continue to trust him? Will you continue to keep moving forward on the path in which he leads you? Or will you get tired of it and head out on your own? That's the struggle of Exodus people. And what we wanna recognize is that is our struggle as well. 
In the New Testament, the book of Hebrews describes Jesus as a new and greater Moses who's come to lead God's people in a new and greater Exodus, a journey of repentance and faith, a journey of trusting and following Jesus who rescues us from our enslavement to sin. He rescues us from suffering and death. He restores us to a life of peace and wholeness and justice and righteousness in his presence. Jesus is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to lead God's people on this Exodus journey of salvation, out of the realm of death into the realm of life. And the question for you and for me, will you receive the one who comes in the name of the Lord? But there's something more because Jesus while he absolutely is a new and greater Moses to come to lead a new and greater Exodus, he's also more than that. There's something even more mysterious, more beautiful, more powerful about Jesus that we begin to see as the story unfolds. He's the one who comes in the name of the Lord to God's people. But when he does come, he also claims the name of the Lord as his own. Before Abraham was, I am, says Jesus in the passage we just read. Seven times in John's gospel, Jesus claims the name I am as his own. The Apostle Paul, as he contemplates the fullness of what God has revealed about himself in Jesus, exclaims that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Think Yahweh. That's what Paul's saying. And he goes on to try and unpack that baffling realization that Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, was crucified and died for God's people. It just doesn't seem to be a, a path that fits the great I am right? The one who spoke to Moses out of the fire in the bush, the one who commands the heavens, the earth, the one who is. How could it be that the Lord Yahweh, the one who is, comes to us as Jesus, the one who died? But the apostle Paul goes on, and in Philippians chapter 2, his contemplation of this great mystery swells to a sort of crescendo as he writes, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, being from all eternity the great I am, did not count that privilege as something to use for his own gain. But instead, he chose to lay aside every privilege. Why? Because that's what it took for him to keep the ancient promise to which the Lord attached his name and honor. God will not be known as a promise-breaking, faithless God. He is the faithful one. One of the great mysteries of our faith is that the great I am 
became the lowly Jesus who was crucified, died, was buried, and descended to the dead. But another great mystery of our faith is that Jesus, who was dead, was raised from death, ascended into heaven, took his throne at the right hand of God the Father, was given the name above every name in heaven and on earth, and will come again to judge the world in justice and righteousness, to set all things right, to make all things new, according to a very, very old promise that God made and will keep. This Jesus is the one who comes to us in the name of the Lord. And the remarkable thing about it, when we realize the sheer majesty and power of who he is, is that the way he comes to us is as a friend and brother, the gentle shepherd who cares for his flock. And just as God assured Moses, they will listen to your voice, Moses. Jesus assures us, my sheep will know my voice and they will follow. Do you know his voice? Will you follow him? Will you receive the one who comes in the name of the Lord, not in a yes, once and done, check the box kind of way, but continually, daily? Will you trust him with your life? Will you, will you take the next steps on that Exodus journey out of Egypt, he's called you. And if you say yes to that question, or if you're even thinking about saying yes to that question, then I think it only follows for us to consider what would it look like then to step out in faith and actually put our trust in Jesus who comes to us and calls us by name? What would it look, for us, look like for us to go in the name of the Lord on the Exodus journey he's leading? What we see here in our passage is that this journey is not gonna be an easy one. The departure from Egypt will be difficult. The king's not gonna let them go quietly and their arrival in the promised land won't be easy either. The land is occupied by a bunch of people who are larger and stronger. If Moses and the Israelites were gonna go get on Zillow and look up the promised land, it wouldn't register with the make me move qualifications, right? a list of properties that are just such good, good deals that there's no way you could say no. No, in fact, the promised land wouldn't have even come up as a listed property. It'd be one of those houses that's not listed and probably won't ever be. And if it were, it would be cost prohibitive for almost anyone to consider it a realistic option. And it wouldn't matter anyway, because the Israelites in their current condition, enslaved in Egypt, they're not really on the market. But God isn't deterred by any of those things. He doesn't spell out for his people exactly how the details will play out, but he does say that it will be by God's own power that it happens. And Moses' job and the job of the people is to trust, to follow on what appears to be an impossible journey. When Jesus calls us to follow him on this Exodus journey of faith, out of death and its trappings, into life with him, He's calling us to join him on the path that he pioneered for us, which is both scary and glorious. And as we take up the role of the people who follow Jesus on the Exodus journey, we will inevitably face two prominent struggles. Number one, leaving Egypt will seem to be too difficult to be realistic. 
And number two, the destination God promises will seem too good to be true or too distant to be attainable. The Egypts in our lives, those places where we feel stuck, our sinful patterns and habits that just won't go away, the hard situations that grip us with an iron fist and refuse to let up, the broken desires that rule us. The gravitational pull of these things just seems way too strong for us to break free. We've tried and we've failed enough to know that. And the kind of life that God promises to his people, a thriving, flourishing life in which relationships are actually places of trust and intimacy, where our work is meaningful and satisfying, where our bodies don't fail us or make us feel ashamed, where our debts are paid and we're free from the burdens we carry, where violence and injustice and death are no more. That kind of life just seems like a pipe dream or a fairy tale. Even if we can't believe it, even if we can believe it to be true, it just feels so incredibly far away from our present situation that it's kind of hard to imagine how that future is relevant for us today. But here's the thing. Jesus is calling us on an Exodus journey out of our Egypts toward that horizon. He's calling us to go in his name and to trust the process, to trust him that the journey is not only possible, but necessary and it's urgent even and worth it. It's worth it to depart from our selfish ways. It's worth it to turn from greed and self-protection and self-promotion, to go with him on a journey of self-sacrifice and generosity, putting others before ourselves. It's worth it to live into our relationships differently, departing from our need to win the argument and instead going on Jesus, going with Jesus on a quest to win the person. It's worth it to inhabit our neighborhoods differently, leaving our old ways of turning a blind eye to the people right in front of us who are so obviously suffering and instead embarking with Jesus on a journey of getting over ourselves and getting near the needs of others. It's worth it to engage our work differently, not grasping by any means necessary for the next promotion or recognition or some version of success that's all about elevating our own names so that others may bow. But leaving that behind on a journey toward a better way where our work is for the Lord and we allow his ways, his approval, his blessing, his calling, his reward, his provision of daily bread to establish the work of our hands and move us to a place of thankfulness, contentment, and generosity. The Lord is calling you out of Egypt, I call my child. He's calling us to go with him on the trail that he's blazed in Jesus the cross-shaped path that bridges the gap between all of our various Egypts and the land of life and blessing, which he has promised to which he calls us. Will you trust him? Will you go? Will you trust the process and just take the next step one day at a time, day by day? It might feel like an impossible mission it will almost certainly feel like a scary one or an awkward one or a painful one if we're doing it right. 
But what we see in Jesus is that the journey is worth it and the God who calls you is faithful. May God give us grace to go with Jesus on that great Exodus journey out of Egypt. Would you pray with me? Living God, Father, Son, and Spirit, your name looms large. It is the name above every name. God, would you help us to put respect on your name, to honor you and to love you above all else, to trust you, to lean in to your promise, more ultimately, more fundamentally than all the other agendas and reputations that we lean into and entrust with our well-being. It's a scary journey to follow you, Jesus, into the great beyond. But we thank you that you are faithful to see through to the end the good work you've begun. And we pray that you would give us the grace we need, the courage we need, the friends we need, the vision we need for our lives to take the next steps of faith that you're calling us to take. Strengthen us for the journey. Provide for us and lead us home, we pray. O oh, faithful one, name above all names. We pray through Jesus Christ in his holy name. Amen.